Good afternoon. Happy Friday. Welcome to Mad Hat Economics. I'm Jackie Stein. Today I'm here with Professor David Just. Hello. And Liz Bell. Hello. Today we're going to be talking about the ethics of nudging. And Professor Jess, would you like to start us with a little story about this? Sure, sure. So probably a little more than a year ago, I I was giving a presentation down on Capitol Hill. Mm. I get to do this now and again. It's, It's sort of a fun thing to go try and engage with primarily congressional staffers. But I put this presentation together... And I was talking about uh, using nudges for certain things. It was in, in my title somewhere. And as I was getting this prepared, the, the individual who's putting this all together and, and getting ready stopped me and said, don't use that word. And I was like, why not? What's, uh, what's wrong with this word? And, uh, and it, it turns out there was a whole bunch going on right then where a lot of con- congressmen were pushing back on the idea of nudging, partly because... The Obama administration had been very high on the idea of, of uh, putting in nudges to try and make government more efficient. It opened up a specific office on the topic. You have these really great examples where we've introduced nudges to reach policy goals more efficiently. For example, there was a, they, they changed a default mm-hmm. so that kids were by default being enrolled for free or reduced price lunches and didn't didn't have to you know fill out extra paperwork and, and things like that. Um, and, and they had access to this and more kids were able to take the school lunch than were before. And it was making that process more efficient. But at the same time, you had people pushing back on this idea and and saying, why is it the government's role to push us towards a particular outcome? Should we, you know, should the government really be doing that? Should they be, uh, you know, forcing people one way or the other? And, you know, the whole idea of nudge is not to force, but to give people a choice and just sort of make it so the choice is, is more likely to lead them that direction. The, the architecture of the choice sort of sets it up, mm-hmm. which was interesting. It was, it was almost, I felt like people were talking past each other a bit. But, uh, but it brings up the question, so when is a nudge too much? Right. I mean, when, when are we really, you know, a victim of, of being nudged? And why would people push back on this idea? I think that's a great point. Um, there's a lot of instances where it's not certain what is the right direction of action. What is, so, you know, who's creating these nudges, you know, who knows best for us? And maybe it's not the right decision. What is the decision that most people would like to find themselves in? You know, would more people who who are signed up for the school lunch program, would they actually intending to sign up for this program? Is it something that they would have liked to do? But, you know, they're giving the information to the child and they forget, they lose the the form in their backpack or it's online and their parents aren't really paying attention or they're, you know, busy and don't have time. So it's something that, you know, they've, if they knew about it, if it was easier, yes, they would absolutely, if it was a matter of yes or no, they would pick yes. Or is it something like, actually, you know, maybe they have the means of making that decision, but they want to say, no, I, my mom still makes my lunch. And I, you know, for different reasons prefer, you know, the family prefers that option better. And uh, maybe it's health reasons where the parent is conscious of what the yeah. child's eating or an allergy or something but like that. I mean, even in, in those cases, I mean, I guess the, the argument from the other side would be, mm-hmm. well, being enrolled in the program doesn't mean you have to take the lunch. Exactly. Right? You can still bring the lunch from home. There's still that, that freedom. So why why would you push back? But you could, I mean, you could find other things people might, might say. For example, if I like making my kids lunch, 
mm-hmm. uh, and I want to be able to control what they eat, you enroll them in this program and suddenly if they qualify for free lunch, now they can go and get lunch without my having consented. Right. So you can you can find little things here and there mm-hmm. that maybe make it ambiguous, but I you know, for the most part, most of these nudges they uh, the people who are setting them up, I think in, in all honesty are trying to set them up in a way where anybody in their right mind would choose this option. Right. <laughs> you know, I think, Problem is not everybody agrees. Right. <laughs> and I think another major point here is, you know, are the externalities really changing that when you change this nudge, are there going to be spillover effects when with more kids being enrolled for free lunch as, as the example, um, are there going to be major spillover effects that are going to be consequential to, to other parties such as, is this a huge increase in our taxes or is this, um, yeah. Increase in child weight gain and obesity or, or is it the opposite effect? Or is it actually, um, children eating healthier, um, certain things like that, are. I mean, Is in, it make in a this difference? particular case, there's certainly a budget implication, right? Mm-hmm. Where if, if you're paying for more lunches, it costs more, right? right? And and so there might be some objection about about how much money this is going to cost. But you can find other examples where it's mm-hmm. it's something that isn't really going to cost money. Right. Things like the timing of tax rebates and things right. like that, or looking at you know. The, the order of, of when you need to sign things on, mm-hmm. on disclosure information for, for investments, things like right. that. There places where monetarily it's not really going to make a difference, but it might make a difference in the decision. And there still seems to be this sort of uneasiness about nudging people to, to make particular decisions. Maybe is it partly because we have this intent, because either way, it seems that people are being nudged, whether the nudge is intentional (laughs) or unintentional. So the first choice, the way we present the question on the form, that's the form was set up without an intention of persuading people to deliver certain information honestly or accurately or whatsoever. There was no intention of, of changing behavior. Now that we have nudges, there's some motivation behind the order of the form. So is it that it's okay to influence people if we're not intending to? Or is it almost like <laughs> manipulative? It seems almost manipulative in the fact that it's manipulative, whether the intention is good or bad. The fact that we have that power and we're recognizing that power over people, that's what kind of seems a little bit nerve wracking about our society. We're now recognizing power over others. I think it's very clear that the motivation is part of the you know the issue with why why some consider it unethical or or think that there's something bad about the entire idea of of nudging people it's what that motivation is and now it is motivated whereas before it wasn't so my own work looking in in uh, school lunchrooms it's really hard to find very many people who are you know really really uh opposed to the idea of encouraging kids to take fruits and vegetables. Certainly there might be some who are opposed to to forcing them to take fruits and vegetables, but making it so the fruits and vegetables are more attractive or things like that, you get get very few who push back, but not every nudge is created equal, right? Some, some nudges are, are going to be more egregious than others. And I actually, uh, Cass Sunstein who's Mm -hmm. done a whole lot of work looking at what sort of ingredients go into making a nudge that's acceptable versus one that's that's repulsive mm-hmm. or or that feels to people like it's it's coercive in some way that they they dislike 
right? Mm -hmm. One of the keys to this is what is that outcome that they're looking for, right? So if, if they're trying to nudge you towards an outcome that you disagree with or that looks like it's unfair, then the nudge should be off the table. He, right. he uses sort of the straw man example of, of what happens if people seem to be okay with the idea of by default, you're a registered voter, mm -hmm. where they're not particularly okay with by default, you're a registered Green Party member. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, that makes a lot of sense because, uh, and, and as Liam, our recording expert, was, we were talking about this a little <laughs> bit before, and uh, if you're registered to vote, in general, without a party, there are some consequences. You're going to get mail from different parties. So that may be something that is, you know, unsavory to everyday people and their mail or whether it's their email being bombarded. So but then you try to help them by, you know, using maybe even some trying to get statistically align them with what you would predict their party to be. <laughs> but that also is comes with the assumption where, oh, you're trying to drive Green Party um, voters and trying to, to well, drive political interest there. So if, if you think about, I you know, your own choice environment for most most of mm -hmm. your life, right? Where are the places where you're really being nudged the most? Who's nudging you and what are they trying to get you to do? It's everywhere. It's, <laughs> so, well, it's everywhere. Yeah, it, you say it's everywhere, but what, it's, so, yeah. Yeah, no, there's there's definitely a public and a private nudge going on there. When I think um, intentional nudging. Well, you can nudge yourself for one. You can nudge yourself, <clears throat> absolutely. So I think we almost almost everybody does some amount of, mm -hmm. you know, okay, I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. to make it easier for myself to make a better decision in the future, right? right? I, th I think almost everybody does that. Right. I, I think we run into a lot of nudges in shopping or browsing the internet mm -hmm. or whatever it might be. For example, I would say any kind of automatic enrollment when, when you sign up for a website, you have to put you down your email or you sign up to Or the, the to box is checked the box to get the checked. email. Right. And <laughs> yeah. it's checked. Unless you uncheck it, you're getting emails and you have to notice that first. And or that's already the default mode. So now you it's like, okay, most people check this is helpful. Um, so say recommended and recommended, um, <laughs> even when exactly when you're shop and I, I do some online shopping and, um, they say on some items, they'll say, um, customer favorite or, Highest rated yeah. item. Yeah, now, some of those things. I mean, armor framing. So you think about the, that sort of nudging, and some of those things we're talking about all sound really desirable, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, oftentimes I like the idea of having something that's recommended because it gives Especially me some idea of what to do. Don't know anything about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Or, or you know, if you think about installing software, if anybody's oh, ever, right. yeah. I mean, usually, you know, somewhere in the process, it's going to say install it sort of the automatic way or check this box and I get to customize everything. Mm -hmm. Who really wants to have things automatically made so that you, you have to go through every little bit of the process? You, mm -hmm. you sort of like the idea that it's automatically configured sort of the normal way. Right. Right. That saves you time. It saves you energy. So there, there are some nudges that I think we're perfectly comfortable with. Mm -hmm. I think it boils down to whether you see it as a convenience for you or whether you feel manipulated by it. Right. And so that brings me to one of the other things that uh, that Cass Sunstein found, which is that the type of nudge seems to play into it, not just what the outcome is they want. But there's, there's also, you know, there you can think about it as having two different types of nudges, right? There's 
the sort of classic nudge that we all think about where it's designed to change your behavior without causing you to think too much, right? right? So changing the default. So I, you know, I sort of naturally go with the default because it's easy and it's sort of suggested as what's socially normal, right? Mm -hmm. Or I go with this particular outcome because it's convenient. It requires, you know, less thinking, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. So there's that sort of nudge, but then there's also a different sort of nudge. What what I like to refer to as a behavioral interrupt, which yes. just sort of stops you in your tracks and forces you to make a decision. This is Jason Reese's experiment in Chinese fast food restaurant where they ask you, would you like to, you know, forgo 400 calories by, by avoiding the side dish today? Mm -hmm. And they charge you the same amount. They give you this, you know, the same options, but they stop you and you think, and some certain set of them say, yeah, I don't want to have that. I, I don't need the calories. Mm -hmm. So I'll forgo the side. And they wouldn't have thought about it. They would have taken the side if, if nobody had stopped them, right? People seem to be much more comfortable with that sort of behavioral interrupt, something that gets you engaged cognitively and making an active decision rather than mm -hmm. something that sort of leads you to make a decision without even thinking about it. Right. Right. They feel a lot more manipulated if their brain isn't involved in it. But there's a problem with that, isn't there? I mean, so, so the problem with that is what? We can't effectively nudge people with behavioral interrupts over and over and over again. Right. Right. Because if every single time we were being nudged in the ways we were just talking about, somebody was stopping us in our tracks and for forcing us to make a really difficult cognitive decision, life becomes ridiculous right. <laughs> and annoying, right? So how do you how do you reconcile that? Well, I think it's some, somewhat the type of nudges. I think um, people tend to be more in favor of socially socially positive nudging. So, for example, there's been several studies on organ donation in, in different countries. And I believe it's Germany has much more organ donation than the United States because the default on your driver's license is to donate organs, whereas in the United States, the default is to not donate. So changing that nudge into a socially optimal outcome, whereas, okay, more organ, organs are being donated, more people are living and surviving, and there's a better organ market. Everyone likes that idea, or most everyone likes that idea. But if you look at, per se, a, a shopping, maybe a decision, like a political decision, like stopping in your tracks and, you know, you don't want to be nudged into signing up for a certain political party. They, there's more support for a, a cognitive decision <laughs> you, there. You'd rather be stopped in your tracks before you became a, a uh, whatever. <laughs> An ex-party. Yes. <laughs> right. Exactly. So things that, you, you know, have more repercussions that not everyone, you know, everyone just confoundingly agrees Yes, that would be better for society. But whereas, you know, people in the Democratic Party would say um, that's not fair. People are automatically registered green or or Republican, etc. So um, where there's fairness promoted by the nudging or socially desirable outcomes, I would think, yeah, people would be in favor of that. But whereas, you know, there's some kind of profit motive or political interest behind it. People would prefer to be stopped and interrupted. What do you think, Liz? I think you also get some kind of psychological reactant sometimes when you stop and tell them. Like basically last year, they ran a study where they dyed a certain number of Pringles red and then um, gave people these Pringles and they would eat them until they got to the red chip. And the idea was once they got to the red chip, they would stop eating because it's like a natural break point. But when you told people that this was the idea, they actually ate more. So they're pushing back on this nudge. Mm -hmm. 
There Which is, is yeah. really a healthy nudge to get people to eat fewer Pringles. <laughs> Maybe they're either pushing back and saying, I'm going to eat more chips anyway, or they're saying, well, I know this is nudging me in the right direction, so I can afford a few more chips in, in the wrong direction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's possible that's that's what was going on. I mean, I guess the interesting thing is, is figuring out, did people want to be exposed to that nudge or right. not? And that experiment, they actually ended up running a condition where people had the choice of receiving the chips that had the, the, you know, the nudge or not. And it was fairly evenly split, but you could tell who, I mean, it, it was, the men did not want the nudge, right? <laughs> there was a gender issue there. Um, and, and it was the men who were pushing back as well in those earlier treatments uh, where, where, you know, they, they had been told why they were giving these red chips. So clearly they didn't want the nudge. It wasn't something that, you know, this, this was the nanny coming after me telling right. me I have to behave a certain way and, and, uh, and they were going to push back. I think just about any time you're going to have both costs and benefits mm -hmm. to the outcome of this nudge you're going to have people have differences of opinion and you're going to have some who want to push back on it. Does does this say we can only really nudge if it's so overwhelmingly in favor mm -hmm. or the percentage of people or you know is that want it is so high that we're not going to see that sort of pushback? I don't know. Right. To your nip minority where the minority gets into <laughs> groups and makes their voice more heard. And I mean, it's, it's certainly a friendlier way of dealing with a minority than having just a, a, a straight out, mm -hmm. you know, rule. Everybody has right. to behave this way. But mm -hmm. uh, even so, I mean, I, I, I wonder if people, you know, if you're in that minority, you still don't want that nudge. Right. <laughs> exactly. Right. Maybe, yeah, you wouldn't want to donate your organs for different reasons or, or other examples. So I guess that kind of brings us to opting out and what kind of, what does that look like when in a world of nudges, in a world of, you know, social influence from all directions, from both the government and private, um, it's very hard to live close to another person and not be influenced or nudged by them. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's true. I mean, when it comes to government programs, the, the types of nudges that have been implemented are ones that you're going to be exposed to and you really couldn't avoid if, uh, as, as long as you're engaging in, you know, the government with, in any way, right? If you're paying your taxes, you're facing nudges. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> but that's not the only place where we're facing nudges that we really have a hard time of opting out, right? As online, mm -hmm. you know, the types of advertising we see is, is all designed to nudge us into different directions and to remind us, hey, you know, you could buy these things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. And it's very hard to opt out of those things. This is partially why ad blockers have become so popular mm -hmm. and at the same time so hated by by people who run websites. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you think there's I, I know you probably know people I know I do who go to great lengths to anonymize everything they do on the mm -hmm. web. Which I'm, I'm guessing now is sort of moot now that the uh, the Internet service providers can have license to sell your data to anybody they want. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and we are paying for our internet use, but and I guess you could think about it in a way like if you go to a public server of internet and it's free, what is the cost that you, you know, what what value are you providing? You're, you're gaining there, you're using internet. So in some way you're having this, 
exchange with the people who are giving you internet service, who are giving you the value that you know you're using, and the exchange is your information, is is your behavioral patterns. And in the other case, you're paying for your internet, for your household internet. Does that cost really meet the value? <laughs> in, in other <laughs> words, them being able to sell your information yeah. might drop your ISP price a little bit. Yeah. So would there be people who are willing to pay higher amount for an internet mm-hmm. service provider who guarantees them we will not sell your information for anything? It's possible. I assume there's a couple people mm-hmm. out there. Yeah, I might want to, I mean, so it might be really interesting to know who. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, those people don't want you to know who, but yes. (laughs) You'll never know. (laughs) So aside from just going to live as a hermit in a sensory deprivation tank, as Liam kind of suggested, how do you, (laughs) how do you avoid nudges? I don't know that you can, and I don't know that it's a good thing to avoid nudges. Even if, even if we removed the sort of intentional setup nudges people trying to change your behavior the environment's still going to be nudging you in different ways it's still going to be more convenient to choose left rather than right sometimes and because of that convenience you'll end up going that direction the question is what types of nudges do you want to do you want to face right and how can you, you know, eliminate the nudges that are leading you in the wrong direction or a direction that you don't want to go? That's that's tricky, right? Particularly where, you know, commercial environments are set up to nudge you in ways that you don't necessarily want to go. If you're trying to cut back on unhealthy foods, there are many places you can go without being exposed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are a whole bunch of examples like that. It's just impossible to avoid. And so I, I think we just have to live with them. Right. Build self-control or build our own responses and um, robustness to the environment around you when it's important. There's all kinds of psychological tactics for people who are working on, you know, it's kind of funny, actually, um, I was listening to a podcast one time and they were discussing behavioral modification practices that you can use to to induce good behaviors on yourself. So if you're on a diet, you can wear a rubber band and and snap it every time you make a bad decision. So I wonder if that really is effective because you have to be the one to recognize that the decision was bad and then to implement the consequence or the punishments. But if there's other like natural punishment environments where someone is holding you accountable, <laughs> such as group projects are kind of a good thing. I, me and Liz are on a project together and the consequence of our actions are felt by each other. So if, you know, we don't finish something that we said we want, done by a certain day and time, then then both of us hurt. We, I have Liz here keeping me accountable to get this done by four o'clock on Friday. That was yeah. today's deadline. Did you make it? Uh, I did. Yeah. A little okay. bit early. Yeah. <laughs> we both worked on it before Three. we came here. Yeah, we were. But we had finished, I think, our individual deliverables yeah. and we were at around like three o'clock <laughs> yeah <laughs> a little an hour to spare <laughs> but um but then that's how we look at that other people mm-hmm. would look at a group project and be like well i don't have to do any work because jackie's got me right exactly social yeah. loafing okay, yeah. yeah i've got to say i've seen group projects work out very very well and i've seen group projects be a horrible horrible yeah, thing. yeah. <laughs> free rider problems that we see every day in society oh i wanted to mention an interesting opt-out option that i always find fascinating it's uh, the Floating City Project. It was founded by Patrick Friedman and, and Wayne Gramlich. And what they did is they set up a floating city right off the coast of San Francisco because they wanted to live in a city or in a place that was autonomous to different governments. And so they've actually moved forward with this recently. They signed a 
contract with France. The city is actually within international waters and progressing in there, you know. And, and you're suggesting this is the way to avoid well, being nudged. Well, no, no. <laughs> it sounds a little bit like a hassle to get. What it's a hassle. <laughs> so I think when you're born in any country, like such as the United States, you're implicitly consenting to, you know, a social security number, ta- paying taxes, you know, abiding by the law. There's no one that's ever stopped you in your tracks and said, do you want to be a part of the United States? Do you want to abide to all of these by rules? Default, right? by, by default, you know, you, and then you build a life here. You don't really get to, you, you make a lot of decisions until you grow up and are old enough to live without your parents. So you end up by default living in the United States or country yeah. like that. So you live in whatever country you're born in and you, you are subjected to all the rules, all the regulations, and, and no one's ever asked you if this is what you wanted. And people say, okay, well, you can opt out of having your information from your credit card being, you know, taken by using cash. That's so difficult. What's so difficult, though, even more difficult of opting out is being subjected to, yeah, a nationalistic society. So this is an example of, you know, there's always a creative way to opt out. So that's kind of the point. You know, we ha- opting out of nudging is probably, as long as you're living next to someone, it may be very difficult. Or you could be even nudged by not having people around you. It could be <laughs> so, <laughs> the lack of... So in any case, no matter how extreme the default, right. you have some way of opting out. Even if you have to live on an island off of San Francisco. Right. (laughs) But there's all these creative ways that people are doing. And I think it's cool because, you know, before now, now this might be moot, but, you know, you could use, instead of Google search engine, you could use DuckDuckGo or there's other, you know, other search engines that don't track your browser. I have optimism towards humans and our progression of society to think creatively about uh, solutions to problems that people are having. And I thought this was a really unique example. I don't think we want to encourage people to opt out of the law, though. Well, if they're going to, <laughs> the, I, I they're going to live here, then it may not impact us. Crime. <laughs> right, they're, that, that we do see. Yeah. <laughs> that we do. So long as you maintain your citizenship, you'll still be exposed to the law. So reflecting on opting out... And we, we will close on that note and encourage you all to look up seasteading because it's quite an interesting <laughs> venture that's going on. But And to think critically about nudging. And like as David said, Cass Sunstein has a lot of things out there opening discussion for the ethics of nudging. So as this becomes a more studied topic, we, we encourage you to form an opinion yourself. It's it's interesting because it's sort of a new idea. Ethics are an old idea, but the mm-hmm. ethics of nudging is actually a pretty new question as to exactly how far should we go, even if we are giving people full choice in trying to shape decisions, mm-hmm. right? With that... Have a great and safe weekend, everyone. We want to thank Liam Wicks Doe for being our producer. Again, you can find more on Mad Hat Economics on Twitter at Mad Hat Economics. And feel free to email us at madhatecon at gmail.com. Again, that's M-A-D-H-A-T-E-C-O-N at gmail.com. Take care, everyone. See you next time. 